If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegla, buddy. We're on a Wednesday night. Um, something happened a, a day ago that I guess we're going to talk about a little bit. What do you think? Um, yeah. <laughs> Justin Fuente out as the Virginia Tech Hokies head coach. Mutually parted ways. Um we have it's, so much to unload, Brian. Yes. It's, so much. And just so y'all know, we're about eight or nine minutes late. Brian's getting everything ready and his computer crashes. So he has to do a full blow restart. Yeah, so I, it, it completely seized up. I, I couldn't get a mouse to connect. It was it was wild. So I was like, all right, well, let's we, uh let's try this. Like, again. Okay, let, let, we got time. We got this. We got this. We got a 10 minute buffer. We're going to get this in, but we have so much to unload. Then that happens. And then Brian tries to send me the rundown email that locks up for a few minutes. <laughs> so we're like crap and all with what took place yesterday. And you already said it, Brian, um, the mutually agreed to part ways. We, we knew it was going to happen. Right. We we knew it was coming. We didn't know when it was coming. Uh, we thought it might be after BC, and apparently uh, there were already talks of it going down after BC. Yep. Uh, well, apparently, as early as last Wednesday, the decision was made. Uh, the terms were not agreed on until uh, it looks like Monday afternoon, and that's when the wheels started turning in terms of talking about interim head coach, uh, talking about uh, when we're going to talk to the team and let them know and all that fun stuff. So that ended up happening at 7.30 team meeting on Tuesday, broke live uh, to uh, the world at about 7.45. It's kind of a weird uh, weird timing of it, but we will take it. Um, we'll, we'll take we're, it. We're officially out of the uh, the Justin Fuente era. Uh, we are. We're, we're waiting to see what the next steps are going to be. It is. And, you know, Brian, we, we heard from what and he said last Wednesday. We essentially went into last Wednesday, we were four and five. Now, yep. the question goes, when was Witt 
given the approval, right? Was it the Monday? Was it a few weeks before? Essentially, what was the number? Was the number eight and four? Was the number nine and three? Um, You know, what was the number that if Justin Fuente had hit this year, he would have been retained? That's the one I got a feeling that after Pitt, he had had the the thumbs up from everyone he needed the thumbs up for that it's your decision make it when you can yeah and then it's like give it a few games the Q's games happen then gt then then the the dreadful friday night primetime performance at bc and i think yep. i think that was probably the capper I think if you win BC, you, you you may wait to the end of the season. But once the BC game happened, you kind of, you know, it's over. And well, you, you've you've exhausted uh, the avenue to get to a respectable eight win season. Yep. I don't even think that was potentially enough to to save his job. Just the way some of this other stuff went down, and some of the stuff that we're we're hearing coming out of uh, various. Uh, sources at this point um a lot lot of a lot of stuff to unpack uh but at this point we are you know justin fuente is done here virginia tech uh we said curtis as early as last year was not just i don't want him here but i want him fired um liberty liberty Uh, last year yep uh i made the same call after pitt um um, you made the call exactly one year ago. Yeah, exactly one year ago. You exactly made exactly one year ago. Thanksgiving the week before. And, and, and I, I was at the point it wasn't he can do stuff to save his job. It was at that point he needs to be fired because he hasn't done enough to save his job. He hasn't done anything, and he hasn't attempted to do anything to save his job. That's always going to be, I think, our bigger issue than just him himself, right? Most people will do things and attempt to save their position, fire people, make adjustments. It was almost like, well, status quo is good. And it's like, no, status quo was we're we're right at 500. This isn't acceptable for our football program. Our football program is a 10-plus win, win the ACC, compete on a national level. Not mediocrity. Yeah. It's not. It's not, and and it was consistently that that was the product we were getting. Yeah. Um, it really hasn't been since 2016 where we won like we should, and most of that was with players that Beamer recruited. Most of that was with a system that the rest of the ACC hadn't looked at yet. Very true, and with an exceptional quarterback. Yeah. And with let's, the, let, with let's, let's not discount the uh, the talents of Gerard Evans there. Gerard Evans came in and made made some things happen. Don't discount Evans. Don't discount Ford, Hodges, Phillips. Don't discount the Edmonds brothers on defense. Other really good players on defense for those first two years. So that was what it was. And, you know, the terms agreed were Monday. And I know some people have complained, why didn't you just wait and, you know, just save that, you know, the, you know, what's, what's the few million 1.25 million, which was, has been reported saved on the buyout, Brian, me and you talked about this in three years, 
1.5 million, roughly $400,000. Yep. What's that? Five, six, seven positions of a recruiting staff or analysts you're bringing in? Or that that pays for your uh million dollar at least one at least one of your uh your coordinators. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it pays for it that one year pays extra for coordinators. So to Witt's credit, getting in there and getting that buyout down, and, and to some ways Justin Fuente's agent's credit, who knows it's over to get your guy back out on the market as quickly yeah. as possible. I, I, I still a lot, you know, people are saying food quit on the team. Uh, I'm not going to say that. If if you got fired today and your boss asked you, hey, but I'm going to need you to work to Friday for me. Is that cool? I'm letting you go on Friday, but can you work to Friday? Would anybody do that? No. It, Nobody it, would do it. If it was mid-season, you might consider it just to kind of keep things maybe intact. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. But I mean, this isn't an Ed Orgeron situation. Um, mm-hmm. Like this is, this is true. Bridges have been burnt to a point where they weren't going to be mended. No, you might as well go ahead and cut your losses. Exactly. Um, and you know, you, you say Fuente quit. He definitely said, "All right, if you don't want me, I'm done." I, yeah. I, if you if you say that's quitting on the team, that that's fine. I don't I don't necessarily disagree, but. Um, there, there are a lot of different ways to look at that angle of it. Um, but it's also but, important for him. The guy's going to get hired in the next month. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a business he's looking out for himself. And I mean, that, yeah. that is, that is what it is. And we're looking out for ourselves by moving on now versus waiting Damn. until after UVA or even later until December 15th, when it dropped down to 7.5. And you know what? It helps us even more get the footing and get the ground, get the ball rolling. Yeah. For getting well, now, now we can make an announcement after UVA instead of waiting to no. get rid of the coach until my, after my, my full assumption, depending on what time that UVA game is, whoever our next coach is, is likely played that day. If they have played that day or they're playing during that day, it will be dropped. That would now, be ideal. I think it's. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm hoping uh you know, a week from uh this Saturday we're we're talking about the way the UVA game shook out and who the next head coach is gonna be. Who the next head coach is, speculating the staff, speculating who's staying. Um but let's let's do this. Uh, it, it was very clear. And I'm gonna say this, Brian, and I said it yep. back in December of last year. Whit Babcock wanted him gone last year. Something stopped with Babcock. Don't know who. Something or someone stopped him. Because if you compare that press conference to this press conference, night and day. Witt was clear. Witt was concise. Witt didn't look confused. He did not have a bunch of goofy statements in there. Right? Witt last last December was trying to sell the unsellable. That was the problem. And he was not even unsold himself. He wasn't sold on it himself. I mean, and it looked, I mean, it looked that way. His demeanor, I mean, he looked like a man that was up there almost like with a gun to his head. Pretty like, much. He did not want to be there. No. And didn't. this went looked like he looked confident. He looked like, all right, we made this decision. Here's what's happening. Here's what's going to happen next. Um, you know, disclosed to whatever degree he could what those yeah. next steps were going to look like. And, 
you know, took, took a good number of questions, answered some of them, didn't answer some others, which I get. I mean, you're not going to be able to answer everything in this type of situation. So, um, but I mean, he made it clear the two things that he thought were lacking the most in this, uh, regime, consistency and identity. And that absolutely hit the nail on the head. And he, and I'll I'll say another thing. He took ownership for that press conference last year. Yes, he did. He did take ownership during it. And and not, and you know, he he still stood by the decision he made at the time, but he said, I did not do a good job of communicating that decision. Um, and I, 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 there was a bunch of missteps in how he, yes, he uh, backed that up, and he, and he, and he took ownership of that. So you got to respect that. But again, consistency and identity, and those are the things we've been talking about a lot on here, right? Yeah. Uh, particularly consistency. Obviously, the identity is kind of people see identity as a, as different things, and and it's hard to really define it, right? You, you kind of just know it when you see it. It's true. And, well, the consistency and, part was easy, right? You just look yeah. starting in 2018 through this year. It was a win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. We were we we're right at one game over 500 again. And we one talked game. about it last week uh, with the lose a big game and then go out and have a performance that looks as good as anything you've done in that season. It's just it's so inconsistent. There, there, and the thing you want to know as a head coach and as a you want to be as a head coach and you want to have as an athletic director, you want to have a coach that can get the predictable outcomes taken care of, right? And we talked about it before the start of the season. We thought six games on our schedule should be more or less predictable outcomes, yes, yes. And one of those has already fallen the Syracuse game, correct? Yep, yep. one of those has already fallen. Um, UVA still on the table. UVA now UVA won. definitely is a better team than we anticipated, and Syracuse is at least better than what they yep. were predicted to be. But, yeah, but it's the whole identity, the identity crisis, also at times where, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive had their ups and downs, but the offensive side of the ball. How many times, Brian, have we said? Certain times in the game looks night and day. Night, day. Yeah. Like, you know, first drive of, oh, I can't remember, with the Notre Dame game where we ran some hooks, we ran some under center stuff when we got inside the 10, score touchdown. The next drive, same situation, doing something completely different. Yep. And it's going to go to something we're going to talk about a little later on. But, you know, I, I think whoever comes in here, regardless who it is. And me and Brian are digging and believe it or not, y'all wait till Sunday, the back half of the episode, Sunday after the recap. Oh, we going to have some fun with looking at the candidates. Yeah. We, we've got a full like list. Um, lists. And we're not we, talking one point on each. Yep. It's, it's growing by the day. So we've got a couple more days to review it. That's going to be a fun one, but whoever comes in consistent message, right? Yeah. I think whoever comes in here also should know. Look at Saturday. Look at Saturday. Saturday, that was a four and five team on senior day. Likely no shot to win the ACC, scraping for bowl eligibility. About 57,000 showed up, which is the East and West stands looked very good. The student sections was full. 
the only things that really weren't full was the Duke section and parts of the south end zone. That's yep. it. So whoever gets this job has to understand we are an engaging fan base, right? And, and, and we will reciprocate that if you engage us uh, full bore. Uh, this, you know, we're showing out like this without the level of engagement that we are accustomed to in the previous 25 years. Well, the level of engagement plus the winning. Say what you will. Say what you will. Brian, if we were eight and two going into this weekend, would we give a shit about the engagement of the coach? Much less. <laughs> Much less. Like Much yeah, less. <laughs> I don't give a shit. We're winning. <laughs> I, I don't care what he does. But when you're not winning, it's those little things. But it's those little things, too, that give you more leeway. And let, let's flip it, Brian, to this, because the guy right now at the helm probably has more leeway than anybody. He's one of the guys that we believe should be retained on this staff, regardless who the next head coach is. Alumni, hooky legend, J.C. Price takes over his interim. And yeah, absolutely yeah. perfect choice. Um, there's a lot of reasons for, for this being the perfect choice. Um, number one, the way he carries himself, his demeanor. Um, oh, yeah. he, he commands a room. He commands respect. Um, obviously, Virginia Tech grad, Virginia Tech former football player. Not only um, but the football player, but – Elite level football legend, legend, yeah, got drafted, part of the Sugar Bowl team, yeah, part of Big East titles, and the the other part, the other parts of it here. So we've already got we've got a D line coach as well. He's 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 yeah. helping with D line, uh, still got D line coach. So you take him off that, you're not losing a full position coach. True. Um, respected for his coaching and his recruiting, both by players and by the staff. Yeah. Um, it also lets the other coordinators focus on their area of the ball. One of which I, I'm not sure that we really give a shit about, but <laughs> we're going to get to that very soon. Um, and you know, they thought they talked about, we're going to talk, we're going to see him tomorrow. Um, he, he apparently on Tuesday was setting up calls with, uh, with the recruiting class, trying to get those either done yesterday or, uh, today. Yep. So obviously, hopefully that all those have happened at this point. Um, I haven't seen any big rumblings or anything yet um, other than like, you know, kind of a, a, a question phase from I think Purnell thrown out there. Yep. Um, I think some of the recruits are probably getting getting some calls from other schools at this point, which is oh, to yeah. be expected. As soon as, as soon as the coach is gone, oh, yeah. everybody else that was in that top three, top five is on the horn, man. So, And you got probably a couple others that – you know, some, some players didn't pan out all of a sudden, a guy that was really firm is now, you know, potentially loose. Let me try to sneak in there last minute. Uh, I think, uh, Michigan, I think was, it was, it uh, Michigan somebody, has offered, um, was it Malachi or Lamar law? I think it was Lamar law. Was it Lamar law? They've already offered him. Yeah. So, okay, that's fine. It's an expectation. Anybody sitting out here who said, Hey, are you going to lose the whole class? No. You're not. Could you lose pieces? Yeah. But this is yeah. also an important And obviously the top end is going to be the biggest targets because they're they're going to be the most desirable pieces oh. in the bunch. Well, hold on, hold on. Lamar's not a top end guy. Lamar's actually on the bottom half rating wise. Now, 
not too many guys, six five, three hundred pounds, that have his you know athleticism. L- L- Lamar Law is definitely undervalued in this class. We <laughs> talked about it when he committed. Yes, we did. Um, yes, so we did. Th- th- that that's to be expected. But let's go back to JC a little bit here. Yeah. Um, talk about the perfect fit because he really is the perfect fit, and it gives him an opportunity to really experience what it's like to lead the team that he cares yep. so much about. So that's, I think it matters more to him too. It does. And I think that makes it, it, it just as, just as special, right? It does. It does. It does matter more to him because regardless what happens the rest of his career, he always gets to hold for hopefully three games. I'm hoping it's three games, for three games. I got to head coach my alma mater. What I'm also hoping it does, if he can rally the troops, like potentially I believe he can, and they come out good the next two weeks, I think J.C. Price is easily retained. I think he's going to get a DL stickle. He's going to be the DL coach. I think he's going to be an AHC because that's exactly what happened when Fuente came in. Bud had never been an associate or assistant head coach in his life. He got that label. Why? Because, like you've already mentioned about JC, the locker room respects him both sides of the ball. He's respected in the coaching community. He's respected amongst the administrators. He's respected among the alumni. If you're a coach walking in, whoever it may be, you just shake his hand and say, welcome to the team. Say nothing else and figure out, is he my AHC? Because is he going to be the guy where I've got to learn personalities? I've got to learn – I've got to learn the shape of this locker room. He's going to be the guy I need to talk to. I need him on my right hand. Yeah, JC knows the lay of the land. Um, he he commands, like we said, he commands respect. He's a coach's coach. He's a player's player. Yep. Um, and I think that respect carries over. Um, and I think that you're going to see him be at the uh, again at the top of the list, like you said, of guys that can be retained in this staff. I think you put Ryan Smith right up there with him. Yeah. Um, as the two. And I know we've said that on previous episodes, but we're yeah, going to reiterate it. Those are the, of the, of the coaches currently on this staff in terms of probability of them being retained. And in terms of what they've done while they've been here, those two have shown up, shown out. And yeah. just based on the positions they coach, there's a likelihood that, that there would be a place for them on the staff. They're the only the only third one that could potentially is Shabest, A because we find out his letter um his letter goes past June of next year where the rest of the coaching staff doesn't. Um yep. and and he's one of the more well respected special teams coaches in the country before he yep. who since he's been here. Those yeah, guys, I mean, he, he's definitely a he's a foo guy, but he's not a foo disciple. Like he's not yeah. His wagon has not been hitched to Fu for his career, so I think that that gives him a little bit less of a connection to the staff versus some of the other guys that are on this staff, uh, especially the offensive guys. Definitely the offensive guys. All right. Well, Whit also openly talked about his coaching search, which I have a feeling he's probably already been dipping his toes in the water a little bit, figuring out you know what's going on. Sounds but, like some of that was happening today. There's been a whole lot of, oh, lot of smoke, but but well, not, he said it. He said it right. Yeah, he said you're going to hear things, which was which is kind of a breath of fresh air from an AD, right? We're going to do a search at like no, no, you're going to hear stuff. Just 
to put it out there to let us know. But we've already hit it once, Brian. He already put – like the first thing he talked about was engaging Hokie Nation, engaging Blacksburg, engaging essentially the state. Engaging the region. Um, and that's that's the big thing that – especially out the gate that Fuente did not do a very good job of. Um, nope. I think – so when Fuente came in here, there was respect for their traditions, but there wasn't a respect for the operations, how the program was run, how the program was operated. Well, and not I, so much. Well, I'm going to take that back. I think he respected what was operated on the field and in Blacksburg. Okay. I don't think he understood how things were operated in Virginia, in the Carolinas, in the mid-Atlantic region. I don't okay. think he had a feel for that. I think he I think he respected the hell out of what Frank did here in Blacksburg. I don't think he understood the nuances. Well, I don't think I think he respected what Frank did. I don't think he understood how his actions specifically would fit into that. Yes. Does that make That's sense? Good. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, I think he respected I think he paid homage to what Frank did, but I don't think he understood that we expect a lot of those same things from you day in, day out. Yeah. And, and especially with the engagement piece, Frank yeah. wasn't, Frank had always been engaging younger or older. Um, and it was, you know, the all shucks, they had a great relationship with the media. You know, I, I saw Frank at several Hokie events, never met him, want to, hopefully one day that'll happen. But you could just see him walking around and just shaking hands and talking, just very relaxed. Just he, you could see he owned the room. You could yep. see he was just so relaxed that if you somebody went and talked to him, he was very open. If he saw somebody he recognized, he'd go. It was it was just one of those cool things to see. And the next guy has to be that in some way, shape, or form. When hopefully yep. July of next year, Brian, me and you head to a hokey club dinner here in Richmond for kickoff. The new head coach, we see that. And whether we get a chance to talk to the guy or, or just hear him talk for a couple minutes, we hope we see that. But let's talk about style, Brian. I think we saw Justin Fuente as an X's and O's coach, right? He was. He's, he's also a buddy coach. Buddy coach. <laughs> he, liked, he, liked, he, liked, he liked his buddies. But, but so yeah, he, yeah he, was, he was more of a focus on – the, the the process and the X's and O's and not so much on evaluating everything from a top-down approach. Which uh, which is a CEO style, which is specifically what Witt mentioned. And that's that's a style that we've talked about is is what most Power 5 schools need to operate under. Yep. It's, it's, it, you might get away with it at some other schools, but I, I feel like... And, the CEO has to do uh, several things, right? So it's not just managing the staff and the roster. That that that's a big part of it. But it's also managing donors. It's also uh, making sure that you're engaging the community. You're the face of the yep. organization. You're the face. Um, and it, it all it has to do with closing deals too, right? You damn right it does. He's got to be a clo- a CEO has to be able to close with the best. Uh, personnel in that mm-hmm. in the country, and and we don't have that right now. Now we're, we're looking for someone that can do that type of role. 
Absolutely. And the CEO also is going to be a person that's always looking high level, right? Yeah. High level, big picture. High level, big picture. So when they're looking at specific parts, they're not going to be trying to get into the nuts and bolts. It's essentially going to be, example, the run game is crap. We're getting blown off the ball every time. Offensive line coach, this is your day to come talk to me. Yep. Look at the film. Tell me what's happening. What are you going to do to change it? Okay, go about your way. CEO also is something that Whit mentioned that it goes hand in hand, right? The ability to hire a competitive staff. In a CEO type world, you're not hiring buddies. You might have a few confidants, like one guy, like one person you want on that staff because you trust them. They're your sounding board, right? Yeah. One guy. For, for the longest time. You have your coach beard, but you also have, you also have your other guys on there. You know, we're, we're, we're going here with a little Ted Lasso reference. You got to have your coach beard there, but you're going to have some other coaches on the staff that, you know, you got to have your, your, your other guys that just fit the team are a good fit for the team you have. Yeah. They aren't your buddies. They aren't just guys that you've always done it with. And you, you, you just can't have that many buddies on a team. I mean, again, I said it just a second ago. Billy Hype was here when Frank got here, and Billy Hype became the concierge for Frank for numerous years. And Frank had turnover, and Frank let people go, and people left, and yada, yada, and back and forth. And as the later years we saw, right, when he became not as quick to let people go or move people along, that's when we headed to the wrong direction. With Fuente, unfortunately, like, that's why I don't think he's ever getting another job. Because, like, you can't play this. Like, you can have one person. You can't have six or seven. Yeah. You'd have a sounding board. But, you know, I think what we're hearing, especially Whit mentioning going from eighth to fourth in revenues, we reviewed it last week. And if we've really went up that much, Brian, um, you know, we're, we're probably going to be right at the cusp of a million for each coordinator. We're probably yep. going to be paying three hundred thousand is going to probably be minimum. For- yeah, and, and like like we've said before, eight fifty plus is kind of the the, the starting point you want um, for a, a high quality coordinator. And if, you know, if your starting on- price tag is eight fifty, then and you're willing to go up to as much as you know one to one point two. Mm-hmm. At the at the very top end, th- then you can really get pretty much anybody that you want. Yeah, but it's, the it's, billion is kind of the is is kind of the, the 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 nice butter zone, right? It's it's the zone where you you more or less can get your choice yeah. because anybody making much more than that has already been locked down. Pretty much. Um, now, the one other thing that I, I think Wit hopefully will learn from this, you know, tenure is. I think Whit know needs to know if you see something you feel like is not performing, you need to go put the screws to the coach. If there's an element of this team that you feel is underperforming, not looking good, have a talk. And I think you'll see that. I think, I think over the next five years, if there is a specific unit underperforming for more than two, I think we're going to see turnover. I don't think we're going to see – we'll just try to get there. 
No, it's no longer about trying to get there. It's trying to get back where we were because the way college football is shaping up, where we were is a chance to win national titles again. Yep. Where we were. And where I say where we were is which is being a top 15 team, the way everything's looking for collegiate football, if you're a top 15 team, you have chances to win national titles again. And that's yep. what we want. Yep. You at least have the chance to play some games to to get there. Damn right. All right, buddy. Ooh. So uh, what time was it that you text me this afternoon and you were like, holy crap, did you see the bleep on corn? And it was I about, did, what, 2.30, 3 o'clock? Yeah, I think a little after 3 because I was uh, I had to run a few errands after I got off work. And I was like, no, I didn't. But then I read it. And I, you got the article up, right? Let, let's start with a few quotes. Shout out Mike Nazolik. Hell of a work. First of all, we're not ignoring the other pieces of the article, but a lot of the other pieces people knew about, right? Yeah. We either knew about or it was heavily speculated. Uh, It was more of a, you might have a differing opinion of how things went down, but it was common knowledge that this is what it was. The closest thing that was coming to this was Gerard Evans on Don talking about there were some plays where it was, I had one read. If it was not open, I ran. That was the play. Yep. Okay. This goes, th- that was just like scratching the surface. I mean, so, it, 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 it pretty much took what Gerard said and like blew it up big picture. Um, and I'll, I'll just read it straight from the, the horse's mouth here. Again, credit uh, Mike Nazolik, uh, Roanoke Times. Um, you have, you've got, okay, this is a quote from a source here. You've got to let your quarterback be your quarterback. There wasn't autonomy to read the defense on a run option. He would tell the quarterback whether he should hand it off or run. You can't manage every piece of it. It goes on to say Cornelson would also dictate where his quarterbacks needed to throw on passing plays before the snap. And this is the bitch of it. Criticize them for passing elsewhere, even if the intended target was covered. A source ran through multiple instances for the Roanoke Times of when Burmeister was ripped this fall for making a positive play only because the ball went to a different receiver than Cornelson wanted. It's frustrating because there's tremendous football team there, a source said. And this this got me lit. Oh, I know it got you lit. Well, the This got me weeks, lit. How many times the first four weeks of the season, Brian, did you say, I don't think there's a read in this. I think it's a, it's a damn handoff when it should be a read that ends crashing. Braxton's got 40 down the sideline. You were hot yeah. about that crap. Yeah, we, we we talked about it. We said like almost 90, 90 to 100 percent of the time, it was either design keep or design give. And most of the time in the early season, it was design give. Yes, it was. And we also talked about in the passing game, Braxton keying on one receiver True. a lot. A well, whole lot. BC. Yeah. In the play of Tavion. When Caleb Smith is running that ten yard in, and he's wide open. Yeah, it, 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 there was a bunch of instances that we've talked about, and, and we've talked about it in pre. We talked about it at the end of last year, uh, even some with uh, with Hendon, but we saw it a lot more, a lot more this year with, in terms of the uh, the run game. And yeah, okay. So I'll say this: you're going to have plays where after the check with me, you're going to say we're giving it one hundred percent. But th- there's reasons for that, right? So if I get a 
base look with a with and I see too high safety. Yeah, I'm probably going to give it to the running back because there's probably going to be space in between the tackles for him to make a big run. Right? Yeah, that makes sense, right? Makes sense. All right, yeah. so th- that that's when something like that makes sense, and you're going to have a check for that, and you might have a check if you've seen the defensive end crashing down every damn time you hand the ball off. Hey, we're keeping it this time. There's yeah. going to be instances like that. What there isn't is taking and, the entire read element out of those plays. 100%. Stock and barrel. Well, can I say it? Can I say what it sounds like to me? You've got a mini Napoleon up in the booth who wants to dictate and have control over absolutely everything. And, Micromanaging the quarterback. And I, and I said and, it I said it earlier. It's it's it was damned if you do, damned if you don't because well, well, you talk about Hendon last year and you talk about Braxton this year. And and I think the I think the difference is that Hendon was willing to go off script. Yeah. And I think that that ultimately got him in the doghouse, which is a damn shame because yeah. he, it's just a kid making a play. But in this situation, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If if you're getting ripped by Cornelson, if you throw a ball where he wants it and that guy's covered and then it ends up in a turnover. If if yeah. you if you throw it to the guy that's open, Cornelson is ripping you. If you throw it and it ends up in a turnover or a bad play, then Foo's ripping your ass. So you're well, getting your you ass ripped either right? way. You might as well go out there and make the right play. And that and that's probably what Hooker did most of the time. But can I ask this though? And let's go back to 2019. How much of it do you think at that point in time this was going on and why Hendon didn't get to start at the beginning of the season? Think about everything we heard about keeping, running, dictating every single term where the reports were, well, sometimes he doesn't look good in practice. Was it because in practice he was told, oh, well, this guy's going to be running a 10-yard out. He gets up there and he sees, well, they're running cover two. He's going to be running underneath my pass lane. But we're running, running, uh, you know, Dalton's coming up and running a 10-yard hitch. I can squeeze it right between these two linebackers. I throw a pick over here, and maybe that's what Brad didn't like. Told you throw it over here. Throw it to this guy. What this says to me, can, and you you made a tweet earlier about a high school somewhere in the Midwest. This sounds exactly what like a high school offensive coordinator would do. No, it sounds worse. Middle school. I've that's coached cool. high school. Coaches at high school give players with a lot less ability way <laughs> more. Uh, responsibility in these types of offenses. It's sad. It is sad. You can't micromanage that much. And you can I mean, only- hell, we when 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 I was coaching, we ran a damn flex bone, and our quarterback had more autonomy in the passing game than they're giving Braxton Burmeister. <laughs> and and now you, you you know Braxton's been getting ripped left and right, right? Yep. And now you sit here and say, well, shit, maybe Braxton is not as, you know, in the past game, maybe he's not as bad as we thought. Or he's he's thinking so damn much because he's got someone micromanaging his game. Come, look, you know, gets under center, sees they're going to run a zero blitz. Well, the worst corners on my second best receiver, well, why, why am I going to Trey who's getting pressed? They're playing off on Tay, and he's running a slant. Why do you want to throw to Trey? Why does Why does he want to throw to 
the wrong guy. Yeah, I mean, Braxton's arm is going to always be Braxton's arm, but everything else, I mean, that, that yeah. goes back to Cornelson either directly or indirectly. Either he's not doing a good job of teaching his quarterback or he's making his quarterback play so tight that he's not getting it done. <laughs> Probably both. All right, Brian, well, let's move on. We're going to get off the subject um, tonight. Um, maybe in the future, next few months here, We'll talk a little bit more about the Justin Fuente era and other things. I'm sure things will be coming out. We'll be discussing, but uh, might have some things for y'all in the future. You definitely want to tune into, but let's talk about a couple of good things, Brian. Let's After do it. His monster day um, on Saturday, Raheem Blackshear gets ACC running back of the week. Well-deserved. Yep. It finally happened. Ladies and gentlemen, he had a big day. I was happy. I was I was big happy. <laughs> I, I, I've been I've been on this kid's uh, I've been on his name for for two years now. I, I I knew he had this type of game in him. Um, I'm glad to see it coming to fruition. Um, hopefully, we'll see some more of that these last two weeks, uh, where he finishes out strong here. Yep. But totally great job. Through. I mean, great performance in the running game. Good job in the passing game. Uh, he really put all of his abilities together in one game. And I think that's really the thing that he's been missing is he's had a game or two where he hit 80 yards rushing, but didn't. it was all focused on the run. He didn't get a lot of touches right. in the passing game. Nope. He's had big, big games where he caught the ball, but didn't really get a lot of look in the running game or wasn't effective. He was effective in both parts of that game this week, and that was big for him. Exactly. So good on him, um, regardless what happens. I know he did the senior day ceremony. Yep. Um, and, you know, obviously we're seeing a little more and more guys. We know we're going to be gone now. Um, we, we start seeing guys that are accepting senior bowl uh, invites. So we, we, we know what's up there. Trey stinks, but, you know, it is what it is. We'll, we'll discuss more on them um, at later dates as we get closer. Hey, because – Try to watch those games. Hopefully those guys have great weeks. Yeah. All right, Brian. Did you watch some Hokies hoops since last I Friday? I did. I did. Impressive win over Navy. Yeah. Went up to Annapolis and just kind of dominated that game from the, the opening tip. Yeah, start to finish. And uh, they, they really shut down their best shooter. They did. Um, and had a pretty good shooting night themselves. A um, couple flashy plays, and then we had the the Radford win, which first half was a uh, was a yep. slog offensively. Uh, they still yep. played very well defensively, uh, but was kind of a slog on the on the offensive end. Uh, but picked it up a lot in the second half. Finished strong, good win. They had the uh, Storm Murphy to uh, Justin Mutt's nutmeg alley oop. The nutmeg alley oop. Sports Center wasn't that the one play of the top night? top play <laughs> top play man. Um, also with that game, though, because of how the slog was in the first half, you just said it, how they played defense. I, I think that tells a lot about Mike Young and about the team overall that th- this team believes that if they don't have the best night shooting or best start shooting, play hard defense, keep us in the game. Yep. Statistically, the shots will fall. Don't don't let don't let a loss on the offensive end beat you on the defensive end. The Hokies are three and zero and ranked twenty sixth in the country. Um, I'm trying to figure that out, especially with quite a few teams um, losing. 
Um, and, you know, you know, we're at that time of year where it's a lot of out-of-conference stuff. So, you know, the next game is going to be tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow night. Let me get it up here. Yep, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, against St. Francis of Pennsylvania. And then let's take a look here. Oh, the next one, that's in Memphis. <laughs> that's the big one. Oh, there's three because there's Merrimack Sunday. Got yep. a buddy going to go up to that game, 4 o'clock tip. And then Wednesday night, as we press record for – Hate Week Part 2, the Memphis game tip. So that will probably be firmly right here for me to watch, and I'm sure it'll be right there for you <laughs> to watch. Yep. So, And then it's Maryland after that. So really you, you kind of have two easy ones with a couple back-to-back hard ones in the same week, uh, you know, basically a week apart. So definitely exciting times. Yeah, we'll know a whole lot about this team, I think, by, you know, Thursday morning next week because that Memphis game is going to be a big measuring stick in terms of where they are right now, right? Oh, absolutely. And obviously playing Nolly, right? Yep. All righty. All right, before we get into Hate Week Part 1 with Know the Enemy in Miami, we are going to uh, take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. Before we get to know the enemy, um, by the way, kind of a... For hokey basketball, Maryland's on the first, A10 perennial solid team, Dayton on the 12th, A10 defending champion, St. Bonnie on the 17th, and Duke and Carolina to close out the month of December. Both on the yep. road. Though. So we will, when when the new year rolls around, we will know everything we need to know about the Hokies basketball team. But, Brian, let's talk a little more about the Hokies football team. Know the enemy. Let's talk about the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, before we get into the players, Brian, let's give just a quick oversight. What kind of defense are we looking at here? Yeah, this is a uh, 4-2-5 pressure defense, the Manny Diaz special. Um, they want to create the uh, the so-called Havoc stats with their pressure packages. Um, they, they want that turnover chain out uh, early and often. Uh, but they're still very undisciplined, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. Manny Diaz, definitely the architect of it. Tavares Robinson, um, the coordinator there. And let's start, Brian. Let's start on the outside. Let's look at the corners. Um, or let's look at a corner. Tricori Couch, 5'10, 170 pound corner. So far this year, 26 tackles, no picks, but a good number of five pass deflections. He was a composite four star out of Hollywood, Florida, when he came out. What is the tape telling us on to Corey? They use three corners, but he's probably the most balanced of the three. He's he's good in zone, good in man, um, pretty good against the run, uh, good at, pretty good at setting the edge when he's asked for that responsibility. Um, he's not really elite in any one of those areas. Uh, he will give up some catches, um, but he's really the guy that they lean on to 
match up against some of the better uh, receivers on the other side of the ball. All right. Um, do you think he, he'll be on Trey, or do you think it's going to be – or is it going to be a, a mishmash of where how we are on the field? Uh, they usually um, go kind of left and right. So depending on where he's where he's come in at, because, um, okay. again, they do rate, rotate three, um, he'll usually stay on the same side of the ball, uh, obviously depending on what the coverage is and any sort of motion. Um, there might be some switches there, but okay, got uh, it. He, he, te- he tends to stay on the same side of the ball. Got it, got it. All right. All right let's look on the defensive line now, Brian. Uh, Jafari Harvey. Um, at a Vero Beach High School in Fort Pierce, Florida, six foot four, two hundred and fifty-two pound defensive end. He was a four-star when he came out. He was a top ten defensive, a weekend defensive end. Um, so far this season, twenty-one tackles, two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss, so a total of seven tackles for loss. He also had an interception return for a touchdown. Um, looks like that prototypical build. What are we seeing on tape from him? And uh, how much, how much, um, how much emphasis is the offensive line going to have to pay attention to him? They'll need to give him some notice. He's he's the guy that kind of flew up the depth chart with those three big um, DNs that that left the program last year for the draft. Um, he's their primary rush in. They're not elite at that position group this year like they've been in the last you know two to three years. Um, but he's the best of the bunch. He's good at setting the edge in the run, um, above average pursuit uh, in the run game, but he's primarily going to be the pass rush specialist. He's not out there, again, getting a bunch of sacks like Phillips or uh, Roche were last year um, or, or Rousseau as well, you know, the year before. Yeah. Um, but he is a guy that is very solid uh, in his pass rush and steady and has – you know, got the chance to get get in the backfield there and cause some havoc. I got you. Now, Brian, um, are we going to see him on Luke Tenuta's side or Parker Clement's side, um, Silas Danzi's side, or is he a mixed bag? Kind of a mixed bag, but more or less he's going to stay on the, uh, the right-hand side of the defense. All right, so he's going to be going against Luke then. So we, we know some of Luke's issues. Does he have that in his tool bag? Or is it in his tool bag? It's just not an effective tool. Like I said, it's kind of it's it's above average. I mean, he's got a good speed rush. He's got a couple moves. Um, again, nothing is elite. Nothing jumps off the tape. Like you're not okay. you're not looking at a at a Jalen Phillips or uh, like a Quincy Roche or any anybody like that. I mean, he's probably a step below where Roche was at this point last year. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Again, the more you know out there. All right, Brian, well, let's take a look at another guy in the secondary, um, Cameron Kitchens out of Northwest High School in Miami, Florida, a 5'11", 202-pound safety. He is a true freshman starting, um, a three-star, 34 tackles, only one for loss, four pass deflections, and a forced fumble. And obviously he's got really big shoes to fill in his position. Yeah, he's been uh, the primary starter at free safety since Bubba Bolden went down uh, a few weeks back. Uh, he's done a pretty good job. He was getting some reps before that. Um, he's not quite as a, a versatile player as Bubba was. He's not asked to do quite as much. Um, because of the way Bubba played, um, they could really do a lot with their 
um, secondary with their coverages and mixing things up. They're not able to do quite as much as that. He is more of a prototypical free safety than Bubba, whereas Bubba more than likely is going to be playing some sort of strong safety or hybrid uh, in, at the NFL level. Uh, but he is a very good tackler, and he does do a good job of breaking on balls both uh, in deep coverage and then breaking breaking towards the ball when the ball is thrown in front of him. So um, still re- re- very good at that, but again, not quite as versatile as Bubba, so they can't do as much in the back end. So I'm guessing probably whatever – where you saw Bolden move up, down, round, occasionally cover a guy – Whatever he is, is going to probably dictate a lot of what coverage they're running for that specific play. They're doing a lot less of man at the line with him. Um, it, it's okay. either he's going to be deep guy, he's going to be dropping into into the box in, in some sort of inverted cover two. Um, there, there's, there's a couple things they do with him, but they don't play him at the line of scrimmage like they would Bubba on occasion. Okay, makes sense. All right, well, let's look at um, one other guy before we get into a little bit more stats here. Corey Flagg Jr., excuse me, the 5'11", 230-pound linebacker. Probably steady season going so far. 45 tackles, three sacks, two additional tackles for loss, so five total. A pick, a Houston, Texas native out of North Shore High School, was just a mid-three-star when he came out, and believe it or not, is one of Bo Davidson's drops. He did have an offer from VT. Yeah, um, this is their Mike linebacker, and he he does a good job. He's a good athlete. Uh, he runs pretty well sideline to sideline. Uh, where he excels, though, and we talked about those pressure packages, those Manny Diaz pressure packages, he is very good when blitzing, uh, whether it's delay blitz, whether it's just firing the A-gap. Um, he, he comes in there really fast and hard, is able to get to the quarterback uh, several times, um, puts puts pressure on the quarterback to get rid of the ball before he's ready, have to scramble early in the down. Um, so he does a lot really well with that, but he can get influence into mistakes. Uh, he will occasionally get out of his uh, out of his uh, his gap. He will occasionally lose leverage when he's got some sort of outside uh, contain responsibility. Uh, so there's there's areas where we can take advantage of him there, but uh, he does a good job for a young kid uh, called the defense from the Mike linebacker position. All right. Real quick question. I don't know if you noticed it on tape. Seven and Steed, I saw he was a linebacker too. Is he more their weak side or like their backer type guy? Yeah, he, he's their backer. He he, okay. he, he he handles that responsibility. So, yeah. And he's – I'd say not quite as, as uh, high of a ceiling as as flag has oh okay he's, he's kind of more of a more of a steady eddie okay sometimes guys we, we can't go through every player we have to pick and choose and we look at i look at the statistical data i look at where they are coming out brian looks at the tape sometimes he'll ring me and say uh give me more info on this guy because this guy's stats are good but he's the cleaner yeah um, and well flag is also on the field Pretty every much point. every snap, whereas Steed is rotating pretty heavily. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, good on me to go flag over Steed. You're right. A couple <laughs> things statistically we got to know about Miami defense. This is not a good defense. We should score points on this defense. They literally Undisciplined, are- lots of flags, lots of uh, blown coverages, lots of being out of position in the run game. There will be opportunities. Now, when they are clicking – 
they've got athletes, so it looks really good. But when they are off, you can do a lot of things against them. And you can. And people have done things all year against them. They are the worst red zone defense in the country. They are 130 of one. Actually, they're T129 because Arizona is just as bad. And Arizona is an absolutely shit show out in out in the Pac-12 right now. But basically, yep. if you get inside the 20, you score 97% of the time. 97% of the time. Their pass D is 115th in the country. They're, they're giving up a ton of pass yards. Their run defense is better, but it's still middle of the pack. It's not elite at all. Um, and, and lastly, they're giving up almost 30 points a game, which is, again, in the bottom half. So this isn't a good defense. Nope. If, if I hate to say this, I don't know the I don't know the autonomy that JC Price has. If we don't get to like thirty plus on this team, he should fire Cornelson. He should just leave him on the team. Seriously. Yeah. If if I'm JC Price, what what degree can I fire people? I, I I'm I'm fully on pulling pulling the Dwight yeah. card, assistant to the regional <laughs> manager. Can I fire people? Do I have that authority? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Brian. Well, let's um let's flip and take a look at their offense. Um, you know, Rhett Lashley still the uh, OC, right? Yep. Did he get fired? All right. So, what are we seeing from the Lashley's um, offense? Yeah. So they primarily come out in uh, eleven personnel, uh, even in two tight end packages. One of those tight ends is usually flexed. Um, so they're essentially subbing in a, a tight end for their slot uh, or one of their other outside receivers. Um, it's, it's kind of that RPO, a little bit of air raid concepts. Um, the big, the big player we're looking at out of the gate that we really need to shut down. Um, if, because while they have three very talented players in the passing game, if they are able to run the ball consistently, that passing game opens up significantly. So Jalen Knight, um, running back. He's not a home run hitter, but he is a guy that consistently gets positive yards uh, in the running game. And, and when they're able to do that and stay ahead of the sticks, that that's when that air raid is really able to shine. Um, like I said, more of a grinded out type back. Um, and he will be used in the screen game occasionally, but it's not his specialty. Uh, they'll swing it out to him and out of the backfield as well. But he's more, more or less uh, kind of between the tackles. Uh, We'll get outside, um, but he's a guy that's going to get them some some good yardage on first and second down, set them up really good where they can let those uh, skilled receivers uh, make plays when they've got the whole field to work with. Yeah. You know, Knighton took over for Cameron Harris. You know, yep. Cameron Harris obviously was having a really good season, you know, almost averaging six yards of carry before he got banged up. But nine's no slouch. I mean, 5'10", 190. He was a top 154 star when he came out out of Deerfield Beach, Florida. You know, Brian's already talked about he's not that home run hitter, and it shows in the statistics. He's only averaging 4.2 per carry. So he's in that 4-5 to five range, 493 yards, five, excuse me, five touchdowns. Um, Brian mentioned he does have some pass game capabilities. Um, he does – and it kind of shows, Brian, when you talk about more in the screen game, he's only got 15 receptions, 230 yards, though. So 
when he gets those, he can turn them into significantly production or significantly productful um, catches, three TDs there. So definitely a guy we've got to contain um, because, you know, the, the four to five is we always say five. If it's four to five, I think you, you highlighted it, Brian. He's getting seven. He's getting eight. He's getting three. He's not getting 18. He's not getting 17. So really key there because when you have a young quarterback who we talk about next, Tyler Van Dyke, you've got to have some semblance of a running game. And I mean, and Van Dyke, don't get me wrong, talented kid, composite four star, was the top player in Connecticut when he came out. 6'4, 224, good size, solid stats so far for his first year, 61% completion, nine and a half per attempt. I really like that number. 21, 93 yards, 19 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, the one thing I noticed did not have much rushing stats, Brian, is 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 he got a little wiggle or is he more of a statue back there? Uh, not so much a statue, but the, their offense is designed to get the ball out of his hands quick. Um, he will occasionally try to scramble to get some yards if something isn't there, but he is definitely trying to sling the ball down the field. Okay. And, um, I mean, he's pretty accurate with the football, so that's that's the big thing we're going to start off with. He's got good accuracy. Um, he doesn't have a super strong arm, but he can make all the throws that the offense uh, requires of him. Um, but the biggest thing that I noticed that he's very much a rhythm quarterback. So when he's hitting, he's very hard to stop. If you get him off his game, it can affect the next play. It can affect the easy throws, all of that. So I think that's the thing we need to think about uh, as, as we're approaching him from a defense perspective is how can we keep him out of rhythm? What can we do to make him miss and then – that miss caused him to make a miss okay. you know, those unforced errors. So that's, that's the big thing we need to focus on because if, when he gets in rhythm, he's very good, but when he's out of rhythm, it's very hit or miss. Um, and he is prone to some underthrows if he can't step in. So getting pressure in his face is going to be important to, to hopefully make him make some mistakes with the football. And he will occasionally take some chances with the football. He takes some calculated risk with the football. So there will be opportunities to get an interception. He doesn't throw a ton, um, but he did have a couple big ones against uh, FSU last week. All right. Well, let's flip over, Brian. Let's talk about the offensive line. Let's do a quick review of them. Um, just a couple season, just a couple things. You know, the team itself is 94th in rushing. Not really a good rushing team, even with the numbers Harris was pulling up earlier in the season. They're giving up sacks. Even what you talk about, what would you probably worry Miami fans more than us and make us kind of, you know, open our eyes and guys get big. You're talking about this RPO quick throw air raid type offense. Usually that's done to prevent sacks, right? Right? Prevent yep. sacks. They're 113th in the nation in sacks allowed. They've given up 30. They're averaging three a game, you know, close to 200 yards, 183 yards given up in those sacks. Um, what did you see on tape? Because the the the, the stats say 
they've got some they've got some struggles. Yeah, I mean, I'd say their pass row is actually a little bit better than average, um, but because they run the RPO um, and because they were accustomed to quarterback like Derek King, that while he much preferred to throw the ball from the pocket, if things weren't there, he had the athletic ability to escape, get some first downs, at least avoid the sacks, things like that. So um, with Van Dyke back there, that's a different story. So they're giving up more sacks, sacks as a result of you don't have a guy that can kind of put a Band-Aid on some of those blemishes in the passing yeah. game now. Um, they are below average in run blocking, um, and it, it, it shows on the tape. Um, they do an okay job of getting a, a decent push where they can get some yardage, but they don't get to the second level very well. Um, so a, a lot of these gains, you know, we talked about it with the, with the average per carry, they're not getting past the linebackers when they go up the middle, they're not getting past the guys controlling the spill area when it gets spilled outside. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. Just looking at the tape that you've looked at the last few days, is, is this just, is this limitation athletically or is this just terrible technique? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, I'd, I'd say more, more technique. I think, you know, we're talking about Miami and this, this isn't a knock on necessarily Manny Diaz, but it, it really goes back several, several cycles, just Miami overall being an undisciplined team on both sides of the football. And I don't know if it's just attention to detail or whatever it is, but they have ability, but they're not always consistent with it. They're not consistent with their technique. And this is part of what's what's going on with their offensive line is that they'll they'll have those really good snaps, uh, and then they'll have bad snaps. But as an offensive line, that's a bigger fucking issue because you got to have five guys working together. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Yep. All right, bro. Uh, one thing they one one thing they do when they throw some of those bubble screens, they do full cut, like five guys cutting linemen's knees. Um, so that's one thing to look for. Uh, it's going to frustrate the shit out of some defensive linemen. Um, so (laughs) hopefully we don't get any stupid personal fouls because of that shit, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, but more than likely they'll return the favor on the personal foul side. So there's, you know, it it might be offsetting penalties. (laughs) Penalties will offset replay the down. All right, Brian, let's take a look quick at uh, three targets for Van Dyke here. I want to start with the Oklahoma transfer, Charleston Rambo, um, who's a composite four-star top 30 wide receiver when he came out. He was at Oklahoma for three seasons. Had decent numbers, a little over 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. Obviously transferred out of there because they're always rolling in new wideouts. Really tearing it up this year. Really showing out 64 receptions, 954 yards almost averaging 15 yards per receptions and five touchdowns six one 185 what did you see on tape from a, a really cool name yeah he's got a cool name right rambo is i mean All it's, it's kind of hard to kind of kind of hard to beat that yeah uh he is their best outside receiver yeah best outside receiver uh he's their primary deep threat he's their primary big play weapon if they need plays down the field that's who they're targeting uh, he's got great hands and does a good job of high pointing the ball um, if it's thrown up in in one on one situations. 
but he can be taken out of the game with some bracket coverage. Uh, we saw FSU employ that a lot, uh, especially in the first half. Um, they figured out how to kind of work around that in the second half last week, uh, but they were able to um, kind of slow him down for the majority of the first half uh, with that bracket coverage, keeping a safety over the top. So that might be something that we look at doing as well. Um, but if we're not able to do that, he will, he can throw some big plays on the board in the, uh, in the passing game. All right. You anticipate Waller on him? Yeah, as much as possible. All right. All right. Let's take a look next at, uh, Mike Harley, a five foot 11, 182 pound wide receiver, 382 for the year yard wide, 41 receptions, four touchdowns, a four star out of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the, Big high schools down in the state of Florida. I'm just looking based on size. Is he the slot guy, or has he uh, played some other positions too? He is the slot guy. Yes, sir. You are correct. Um, they like him on quick slants, bubbles, digs, outs, shallow crossers, uh, the usual suspects in that air raid. Um, and they'll occasionally send him on a, on deep like a seam or something like that, but they really like his underneath quickness. Uh, it gives them a good target to get the ball out of Van Dyke's hands quickly. Um, so he's that guy that is the either the primary right for, route for Van Dyke or the primary uh, check down uh, in most of those route concepts. Well, you talked about them being a two tight end set. Um, is it just the way the formation set up that he, regardless of, whether they're in a two tight end set or not, he's in some sort of slot variation. Yeah, so a lot of times when they they'll flex their uh, t- they'll they'll bring on an extra tight end, but that sometimes they'll take off Smith, who is the other primary uh, outside wide receiver uh, for okay. that second tight end, uh, and still keep Harley on the field. Sometimes Harley comes off, um, but they're primarily they're primarily an eleven personnel uh, most of the game, unless they're okay. going into some sort of. Uh, short yardage package. That's really the only time they, they actually bring two tight ends in line uh, is in goal line situations, short, short yardage situations. Got it. All right, Brian. Tell me if you've heard this one, six, five, two forty five tight end. Yeah. Every I've heard that one before. Week. Every week. I swear to God. We, we had one of those when the season started. We did. <laughs> and Looking like probably probably not coming back, which is gonna be sad. But Will Mallory, 6'5", 245 tight end, solid season so far. Twenty four receptions, two hundred and six yards, three touchdowns, about eleven nine per reception from Jacksonville, Florida. Composite four star. His dad has some lineage here. Dad was an NFL player back in the day. Um, what are we seeing from Mallory? Uh, is he the guy flexing, or is he the guy staying in line most of the time? Uh, he he will flex, but he also is the the number one in line guy as well. Um, oh, usually, okay. when they bring the other guy in, he's more of a true true blocker, so they'll they'll flex him out to be a little more versatile. Um, but he's good with the stick movers, the slants, the ends, the hitches, the drags. Um, but they will send him on some some more unique routes, seams and uh, and wheels uh, to stretch the field. He caught a big wheel route up the sideline against Florida State. Um, did, had some good run after the catch on that as well. So he's got some athleticism. He's not just a, uh, you know, run the route, catch it and go down type guy. He will get you some, some yards after the catch. Uh, so he's somebody got to watch for and he, he, he does pretty good in the red zone as well. All right. So there is sort of know the enemy, some players and things to look for from these players. 
as we do every week, we take a look at a version of the Hokies and we've gotten down to Lambda. We just keep redoing it, redoing it, redoing it. Some things stay the same, right, Brian? What's the one thing? Some things stay the same. What stays the same on offense every week? Every week for a while now, continue the commitment to the running game. Run. And it's it's more important this week. All right. We can talk a little bit more about that. You you, you want me to go into some details here? Yeah, hit it up. Why is it important? All right. So if you remember how we attacked this Miami team last year, we didn't run the ball. We took shots. We emptied the backfield. We didn't yeah. keep a lot of help in to uh, help on Roche and Roche Phillips, and, and we got our asses ate. We did, even though so, we had the lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, which was but we were getting eat up. We were getting eat up. Penning got popped several times that day, I can remember. Yep. So that that's how you lose to Miami. How you win against Miami is ha- establish the run game, keep them off balance, don't let them tee off. And we should be able to be in a good position where we can still use the majority of our passing attack because we've been able to establish the run. Well, we've got to, I mean, they're terrible against the pass. So, I mean, I have a feeling, I know what you're going to say. What do we need to do this week? Uh, Passing attack needs to be similar to what we saw against Duke uh, using all parts of the field, but take calculated shots um, because they will give up those big plays as well. And they're going to challenge us at the line of scrimmage because of the way they play and like to attack and bring pressure. So we're going to have to hit some some shots downfield when those opportunities are presented. But we also have to use the whole field, uh, especially the intermediate area, to kind of keep them off balance uh, so they're not expecting everything that well, every time we drop back that we're you know chucking a, chucking a fade down the sideline. All right. Um, if, 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 if Brad's got anything left, he's got to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brad Cornelson better be emptying the damn clip. Um, and that's for our sake and that's for his sake, because as I said, if he doesn't do something big these next two weeks, he's going to be coaching at Nathan Hale high school in Tulsa. There you go. Empty the clip, Corn. Anything you got, do it. If not, JC's going to fire you and leave you on the tarmac. Um, two other big things, Brian, we've been talking about. already talked about with the red zone defense. They're bad touchdowns, touchdowns over field goals. Um, and, and the way it looks, you know, they're, they're giving up touchdowns to field goal at a, like a, a two-to-one ratio. So yep. you get down there, you have a better chance of scoring a touchdown than a field goal. But we've got to push it in. We, yep. We've got to put the pressure on them because of, A, not having an explosive running game. If we do what we did like we did against Duke, get a couple scores ahead, it's going to force Van Dyke to take the risk. It's going to force him to push the ball down, which with not a really good offensive line that has some issues and only really one deep threat, it's going to get them uncomfortable quick, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, talk about touchdowns versus uh, field goals. The only reason that the FSU Miami game was close is because in the first half, FSU had a couple drives where they did did well, and then got got off the field, and a couple drives where they had to settle for three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that could have easily the the way that that first half went, that could have easily been a twenty eight nothing. 
31 nothing game at half but it wasn't 31 7 you know whatever it may be it could have been a big big uh gap for them to to clear it i mean ultimately miami lost the game but it, it came down to the damn wire where you know they could have stepped on their throats in the first half if they were able to finish a couple of extra drives there we go all right last piece we've talked about brian and now it's even after what was revealed today, even more important. Got to keep Braxton upright. We already know this. Yep. We don't have really the backups that can compete, even less so against, although they have their mislapses, but an athletic Miami defense against a backup quarterback just spells disaster. Yeah, and you want to make sure that if your quarterback is taking hits, it's because he's taking hits in the read option game, making choices taking hits because he had wide open real estate to take off and run. You don't want him taking big shots standing in the pocket um, in the backfield. That's what you don't want. You don't want him taking those unnecessary sacks. Um, you don't want to give up sacks. You want to limit the number of sacks, limit the number of hits on your quarterback uh, and make sure when he is getting hit, it's because of choices he's made within the framework of the call. All right. All right, let's flip over to defense, Brian. I know something you loved seeing last week was how the gap integrity, especially up in the front seven, stayed. Much better. It, it, said, it looked as good as it had looked since UNC. And um, even, even though they don't have the best run line, you, you essentially just told me, like, we, we, can't, we can't slip. We can't give a team that doesn't do this well an opportunity. Yeah, to actually have some positives from this. Yeah, we we want to keep them at or below their their average, um, it, it, somewhere below that four point five range per carry. Uh, we want to make this as hard for them as possible. We want to make sure that they don't get chunk yardage or good yardage on first downs consistently, and that's what FSU was able to do early in that game. And I know FSU has a pretty elite defensive line. Um, but I think we should be able to do something similar with our defensive line and, and, and linebacker combination there. So I'm hoping that we're able to come out there, maintain our gaps, keep, keep make them earn every yard in the running game, and then force Van Dyke to have to go out there and make plays. Yep. And then you talked you, – you've kind of said this a couple times already, making plays and limiting the big plays, right? Force them to drive. Yeah, we, we can't get beat by those uh, those big plays to Rambo. Um, you know, I, I'd much rather see us give up a, a bad third down um, to Chris Harley. Not Chris, Chris Harley. Harley. Oh, yeah, God, not Chris Mike Harley. I'm Mike back Harley. To yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'd much rather give let, let have them uh, give up a first down to Mike Harley doing something underneath than than hit a big play because. Our defense has shown that if they give up first down, they'll come back and play the next three pretty damn hard, um, and, and sometimes that'll get us off the field. So uh, I'd, I'd much rather us you know, give up the 10 to 15-yarder and live to play another series of downs than give up the big play and all of a sudden they're in, they're in scoring range in one play. Yeah. The next thing we, we discussed was keeping Van Dyke behind the sticks. Obviously, with a younger quarterback, Anything between – to me, I, what did I tell you earlier, Brian? Third and five, third and six. That's where I want yeah. them at. 
every yeah. play. Third and six or more would be ideal every time or Third most, most every time. Five is where I'll take. When you get to four, it's just too many potential options. We, we talked about our run defense. Brian's been focusing on gap integrity, but you're third and four and, and you're lining up in your Miami. And even though you don't have the best offensive line, well, they have their own issues. We have our own issues with our rushing defense. We know that. Third and four, listen, just, just take a shot. We might, we might, they might miss a tackle. And instead of they called us at two, we got to four and a half and we got a first down. So keep it on behind the sticks because they are just an average third down conversion team, only about 40%, about 63rd in the nation. They're literally right smack dab in the middle. So it's something that they don't excel at, but they aren't absolutely dreadful at. So if, if we can keep that, if we can keep them at their average to below average, again, more swings in our favor. Absolutely. And if, if we put them in situations where they also are, you know, really behind the six in those third and, and long situations, you know, that takes some of, of Harley and, and Mallory's routes out of the, out of the game. Right. Um, yep. All of a sudden you can't run those shallow hitches. You can't run those shallow ends. You can't run the drags. Uh, or if you do, you're, you're throwing it in front of the sticks and hoping they make a play. Um, the more we can do that, the better. Um, the more they have to force the ball to Rambo um, in, in, in bad coverage areas, the better. Um, so that, that, that's what I think is big. And the other, the last thing is going to be make them settle for three points. Um, yep. If they do get into the scoring area, get off the damn field, make them kick the field goal and settle for three points. Yep. And last week we did that a couple times. We got scored, you know, a couple times, but we also they kicked a field goal and they missed a field goal. Yep. So some improvements on the red zone defense, um, but we know it's a struggle. But getting down there and again, it's holding right. Just bend. Don't you don't break with this team. We're going to have a fighting shot. Exactly. All right, well, so it's been. One hellacious, you know, roughly what, 24, 36 hours. About 36, yeah. 36 hours, a little over 36 hours. And we got to sit here and make a prediction on this game. Um, You know, Fuente's gone, but there are still pieces here that we know that could debilitate this team from winning. So, Brian, what do you say to the score of this game? I think J.C. Price gets this team up, has them playing with confidence, um, has them playing with some fire, with some juice, and probably playing a little bit more loose than they're used to playing. Uh, I, I like them to to get the W down there. I've, I've got it 34-31. Um, I think that we do a good job of moving the football somewhat consistently against this defense I think we get some extra uh, situations there because this team will give you first downs. They will give you free first downs. They will give you free five yards. Uh, They were heavily, heavily penalized uh, against FSU and are heavily, heavily penalized all season. Um, So I don't expect that to change against us. Uh, We just got to be able to capitalize on that, on those opportunities. Yeah. And and I'm actually really not that, 
far behind you, just a few here and there. I'm at 31-27 Hokies. Um, I think it goes back as I think we score more times in the red zone than they do. I think we push it in a couple more times where our defense holds um, because as you get closer, it takes the threat of Rambo away. Um, and and you talked about penalties, Brian. I think – let me see if I have it up here. Yes, 14 for 105 yards versus FSU. I think that I think literally that there's going to be a drive where they're going to have to be on the doorstep of stopping us. They're going to do something stupid, and we're going to go down and score a touchdown, and that's going to be the game. So we're both going Hokies this week. Um, and to your point, J.C. is going to have this team up. And I think J.C. might be scaring the life out of a few people if they start doing dumb things, and you know what I'm talking about. All right, Brian, let's flip it over now. Saturday pickums. Brian, 59-52-1. I'm 64-44-1. We're going to start with the ACC, Duke, Louisville. Louisville laying 20, Brian. That 20 is a big number. But after seeing Duke live, and then even though Louisville just had the game of their life against Syracuse, I can't see the Duke defense slowing down Syracuse. They didn't slow us down. They haven't slowed anybody down all year. Um, 42, actually go higher, 49-20, Louisville wins. Yeah, I'm actually right there with you. Um, I think Louisville's got, just got too much offense. This is just a bad matchup for Duke. Um, this is a worse matchup for them, in my in my opinion, than it was us. So, uh, yes. I'll go Louisville here. All right. Next game, Brian, the real big one. Down in Death Valley, the number 10, Wake Forest, Demon Deacons. Travel down to Clemson. Clemson is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you say on this game? Uh, I'm taking Wake because this is coming down to a field goal either way. So I'm going to go Wake here. Um I'm actually going to take Wake outright, but I think it's going to come down to a last last uh, drive field goal that's going to win it for one 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 team or the other. Yep, I think this comes down to Wake's defense, and I think Wake's defense is going to stop Clemson a few times. Um, the Clemson defense is going to stop Wake a few times as well, but at least you feel with the Wake defense, they make adjustments, they try different things, they you know they're going to try something and the Clemson offense has just looked bad I, I, maybe a field goal but if if I I like wake out right too so if I'm getting points with it you know give me that all right Brian I, I'm still trying to figure out this line right here Florida State BC um somehow some way BC is only favored by two points you made the point earlier, FSU should have had the doors blown off of them last weekend, right? Against Miami. Well, FSU, FSU was uh, was about to blow the doors off Miami, and then they oh, okay. back in. Okay. okay, I misunderstood that. I did not watch all that game. I watched the end and saw our pick go down in flames, but that is Oh, the, the, is. the first half, the first half, Florida State should have been up, like I said, 28-31 to 7. All right. Like Miami just kept shooting themselves in the foot the whole first half. Got it. Well, regardless here or there, 
I think BC is a better coach team. I think BC with Jerkovich slowly getting back is going to continue to be better. And only laying two points against FSU, I think they win easily by seven or ten. Give me BC. Not so fast, buddy. FSU is going to win this one outright. Um, I think they are trending in the right direction. I don't think that they are a good football team yet, but they are playing better football. And I think they are able to do just enough to scrape out a win against BC. So I'll take FSU. All right. So they'll be going into the game versus Florida, uh, trying to get bowl eligibility, which if Florida wins this weekend and Florida is playing Missouri, who's pretty much probably the worst team in the SEC, that wouldn't that be nice? Or, or if Florida loses to Missouri, the battle is for Florida, Florida State, who can become bowl eligible. Who saw Whatever. that coming? Well, I, I'd say Florida fans didn't see that coming. Florida State probably did. but. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brian, next one. Georgia Tech, Notre Dame. Notre Dame lands 17 and a half. Uh, yes, you get to pick this one first. Yep, and I'm <laughs> taking the Irish. I'm taking the Irish all the way. Um, I still don't trust Georgia tech. They they fucked me a lot, but I still do not trust them. I think the Irish are going to be able to run the ball against them. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball against them better than they have. Um, most of the year, I think that they'll, they'll see some success there as well. So, and I don't think Georgia tech has any answer for that Marcus Freeman defense. So give me the Irish. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm taking the Irish too. Um, and it, it's Georgia Tech's dreadful offensively. Notre Dame looks like the last few weeks they finally kind of found exactly what they want to do offensively. Um, they they could have probably beat UVA by fourteen to twenty one more, but they just kind of you know it's it's like the it's like the boxing match where the guy knocks the other guy down the first five rounds. Knocks him down once. The guy keeps, and it's just like I'm just going to jab you. Let me just yep. jab. Um, I think they'll turn it on a little bit more against Georgia Tech. They know now they are clearly in the playoff picture if since he drops. So I'm with you on the Irish. All right, Brian. We discussed taking this one off the board. Um, so I, I'm going to say this: if Brennan Armstrong plays, this gets pulled off the board. For both of us. Pitt, UVA, Pitt laying 14 and a half. If Brennan Armstrong doesn't play, Pitt is going to beat them by 40 points. Because Mark is <laughs> a jerk. If he plays, yeah, it, Pitt might cover this. But it probably would be, it would make me, I would have to do a lot more research and a lot more digging. But no Brennan Armstrong, I'm taking Pitt. Laying 14 and a half points. Yeah, if no Brennan Armstrong, I'm taking Pitt as well. If he plays, I'll take UVA. Uh, and if you want to, we can throw uh, the uh, the Marshall-UNCC game on here just as a buffer game in case that one gets thrown out. Uh, okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, put it up there. What's, let me find the line real quick. You put it on the rundown. Marshall, why are we doing Marshall UNCC? Will Healy, Charles Huff. (laughs) 
two guys we have been looking at significantly. Let me get this up here to my betting site. I want to say it was 14 and a half as well. 15. Marshall is a road favorite lane 15. Um, Brian, give me, ooh, let me see one thing. Give me Marshall. Give me Marshall. All right. I'm going to take Marshall as well. Okay. Uh, Huff's yeah, my um, dude. Huff's my dude. Huff's our guy. Um, I'm, I'm not going to bury the lead, but yeah. Huff's our guy. <laughs> I like More Huff. reasons than we, – we've got a lot of reasons. All right. Let's flip it next, Brian. Let's go to Syracuse, NC State. Um, NC State is lane 11 and a half. NC State off a tough loss against Wake Forest. Yeah. What do you say, Brian? You know what? I think Sean Tucker is going to be pleased with his performance, but disappointed in the outcome. So I think that that's enough for me to go Cuse. They're going to lose, but they'll keep it close. Um. I think they lose. I don't think they keep it close. Best defense they've seen all year. They just played one of the worst defenses and they couldn't get anything going. Um, The biggest thing about this game is location. I forgot where it is. It's at NC State. Yeah, I'm going to lay it. I think NC State wins this game by 14 points. All right. Okay. Let's take a look at three very crucial games through the playoffs, Brian. Let's go a little Pac-12. It will not be Pac-12 after dark. It's actually going to be a 7.30 kick. Oregon is going Pac-12, to Pac-12, Mar- t- primetime East Coast. There you go. Oregon going into Utah Rice-Eccles. Utah ranked 24th. Utah, the three-point favorite. Um, I've got to take Oregon. As, as hard as it is to play down at Rice Eccles, even – oh, man, you know, I've just had an epiphany, Brian. But you got? Two year, think two years ago. Where were we going? Oregon had a road game against Arizona State. So we, we were heading – We were heading to Blacksburg. Yep. We were heading back that night. And Oregon, remember they had one loss. They were they were going to be in the playoffs. I'm changing this pick. Utah ends Oregon's chances because I've seen this story wrote out once before, driving down 81, and Justin Herbert, who is a significantly better player than Anthony Brown down at Arizona State, an easier place to play than Rice Eccles, could not get it done. Oregon chokes it. I'm going to have to go against you here. I think Oregon takes care of business. I think they know that they've got a chance here, and I think they lock it up. Um, I don't think it's going to be like that moment when we were looking for a Chipotle uh, after a, a a big a big win against Pitt on Bud Foster's last home game. So uh, I will take Oregon here. A, a big win against Pitt, Potts Rails, Sharky's Wings. Hanging out with friends, seeing 
folks, tailgating in lot one. All good times. All great times. All right, Brian, you get to lead this one. Alabama's laying 20 against Arkansas. Alabama locks up the West with this win. What do you think? Uh, Alabama's focused. They are locked in. They take care of business. They they ruin the uh, the show there in Arkansas. So give me Alabama here. Okay. I'm going to go slightly against you on this one. Um, Alabama's defense is still having some problems. It's yeah. not a well-oiled machine, um, as usually Nick Saban's defenses are. Um, you know, they are coming off against a game against New Mexico State, which I hope New Mexico State got a million dollars out of that game. I really do. But Arkansas has given up points. Or, excuse me, Alabama's been giving up points. I hate going with this one because in my head, it's either I'm seeing 17 or 21. And that 20 number is so ugly. If I had like 23, I'd love it. But I think Arkansas keeps it a little bit closer than the experts think. I still think Bama gets to 40. I think Arkansas just gets to like 24. Um, Like a couple teams have got against uh, Alabama this year. All right, Brian. A couple other names. Sonny Dykes and SMU against Luke Fickle and Cincinnati. Big game because SMU probably should be ranked. Don't know how they're not, but playoff committee going to playoff committee. Cincinnati laying 11 and a half points. I think Fickle knows he needs this one to be big. I think he knows. It's got to be. take Cincy in this one? I'm taking Cincy. I think Cincy's going to come out focused, and I think they're going to steamroll SMU. Um, if you – the over-under, whatever that is, take the over, because I think SMU still can score some points. But I think Cincy's going to come out and pop them in the face a few times early, get up big, and uh, cruise to a uh, 20-point victory. When they play teams they need to beat, they are focused and play very well. Um, I think since he takes care of business, I think this is about a 14 to 17 point win. It's not a, not a blowout, but I think it easily covers that 11 and a half. All right. And then next week at East Carolina, it'd be an interesting game to go to. All right. Last game, really big game. This is essentially an elimination game in the big 10. Whoever loses this game will not make the playoffs. No, if Andrew butts about it, Michigan state, Ohio State. Ohio State laying 19 points. That That's too rich for my blood. Uh, give me Mel Tucker and Michigan State. That, if that was like 10 and a half, I might be tempted. But 19 is too damn much. 19 is way too much. And I'm with you. The, 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 million, the $100 million man, Mel Tucker – I don't get that contract. I know he's had a good season. That is a lot of money to pay for someone with one, just one season. But I'm with you. Is it now? Is it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. If this line was even 14, I think that's probably what it is. It's like a 14-point game. Ohio State is not exactly – they're really good offensively. They're like Alabama. They have holes defensively. Um, And – 42-28, 42-30. I think Ohio State wins, but I don't think it's by the 19 that P. 
people are seeing. People are seeing Purdue. Purdue's defense versus a Mel Tucker defense, completely different animals. Yeah, and I think I think this one's again, I think the line's about a touchdown too heavy for me. Yes. It's all going with the uh how good they looked against Purdue, right? That's that's yeah. All- it, 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 the line to me should be like between ten and twelve, um, not yeah. nineteen. Not nineteen at all. Brian, anything breaking over the last hour and forty minutes? Nothing's popped up on my end, buddy. All right. Hour and 40 minutes doesn't shock me. We we spent a few extra minutes talking about obvious things. Again, Justin Fuente fired or mutually agreed to part ways. Hokies are in the search. Keep your ear to the grindstone. Look for the signals. Um, believe everything you read. Believe nothing you read. Yep. Because there's there's going to be a lot of smoke, and some smoke. of it's going to be smoke signals, and some of it's going to have some fire attached to it. Absolutely. So that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornervt.com, to listen to all of our episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Music. Jason Long plays us in, plays us out every week. Check him out on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.